I'm here with Danny Washington, who is a science communicator and TV host, focused obviously on the oceans and the importance of valuing the natural world. So yesterday you were pretty front and center with the youth climate contribution, and I'm really interested to hear, you know, what happened yesterday? Share with us some of the highlights of the youth that were present and your thoughts on their voice in this space and why it matters. I was really grateful to be a part of yesterday's UN Youth Summit, Climate Summit, because it was an opportunity to meet the youth leaders from around the world representing their nations to talk about what they're doing in their own communities uh, in regards to the climate crisis. So I served as the MC host of the March for Science SDG Media Zone, which was out in the plaza. And so throughout the entire day, from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., we had youth leaders who were attending the summit cycling through our media zone to contribute on stage with me, either in panel format or spoken word or just a one-on-one conversation where they had a chance to have the spotlight, to speak, and to talk about their truths. And I just felt very privileged to be a part of that whole process. And, you know, just being able to learn from them. That's the biggest takeaway that I received yesterday from the UN Youth Climate Summit. It was to just hear them speak. And I think that's where we are in human history, is acknowledging that our young people are the leaders of today, not of the future, and that they deserve a seat at the table. So the significance of the event itself and the summit was just about that, was giving them a platform. Now, I don't know for a fact whether or not all of those voices were heard from the dignitaries and those leading the way in the UN, but I know for me personally in that moment and having the opportunity to share the stage with them, I received so much. What were some memorable moments yesterday from some of the youth voices? I know a lot of people, maybe your audiences, think of the youth as, you know, out there striking and protesting and maybe don't really have a vision for the future, but what I'm learning is truly, as well, they're coming forward with solutions and they you know, are maybe quite obvious. There's this beautiful film with Greta now about basically the greatest technology in the world being a tree. Yes. (laughs) Couldn't agree more. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that you're about the oceans too, so I'd love to hear more about that. But give me one or or two key moments yesterday where you're like, wow, there's brilliance in this space. Oh, yeah. I mean, there were several of those moments. I think as the day progressed, it became more and more apparent that the young people that are in the space, they're just so intelligent. It blows my mind to think that at 16 years old, to have the level of information and understanding that they have. I mean, I couldn't even fathom that when I was a teenager. So I think one of the biggest highlights yesterday was speaking to some of the organizers from the global climate strike. Within the media zone, I had a chance to have panel discussions. And one of those panel discussions was with a group of students who were part of the global climate strike planning process. And that they all came from different organizations, but they all were meeting together and and co-organizing yesterday or Friday's march and strike all over the world. So their perspective on how they began planning it and where they are now and how they felt the day after the strikes happen. It was just beautiful to hear them speak. And then I also asked them about their vision for the future. What does 2030 look like for them? What world do they want to live in? And and they were very concise about what they want. You know, they had five demands that were outlined for the strike itself. But beyond that, they really just want to live in a world where policymakers and decision makers are really listening to the people and making choices that are benefiting all. And so that was really the heart of yesterday. That's brilliant. Well, remember, we were just at Planet Home together, mm-hmm. and you also emceed the event where Stephen Cutler, the author of Abundance with Peter Diamandis, gave us this hint about how to sort of reframe our narrative around climate change and, you know, it's into resource scarcity, et cetera, water issues. And it was that you retrocast. So you put yourself out into this 2030 future and you imagine it. And then you figure out ways that you can stair-step your way, strategies to get to 2030. So how important 
is it to have like the youth sort of thinking of themselves, okay, I'm going to be 30 then, or maybe 40 then, and then essentially retrocasting back to, okay, what do I have to do today in order to, when I get to that 40, you know, year old house, home, family, you know, this amazing world that I live in. Yeah, how do you retrocast? I mean, it's really, I think, just as basic as envisioning things. You have to have the visual and the feelings within yourself to understand what you want. So the world that we're trying to create, we have to be clear on what that looks like. And I think youth are very good at doing that because they see the contrast of what we're living through right now, that there's so much heartache, there's so much pain and damages being done to our planet and to people around the world. And I think our youth are really aware that this is not right. Their, their understanding of, of justice is so clear. Like, there's no, it's black and white. Like, right. there's no gray in between. And knowing that and seeing that level, I think they can easily catapult into the opposite of what we're you know, dealing with right now. Beautiful. That so, level of truth, speaking from their truth. From their truth. Yeah. They have no invested interest in any other thing other than they just want to live to be adults. They want to live a good and healthy life, and they want to thrive. And that's where we begin. And so... Giving them the tools and the opportunities to speak about these topics is very important, but also to call adults that are in power right now or not in power or just, you know, daily citizens. Just open doors for young leaders. Help them. Whatever you can do, whether it's contributing to their organization or inviting them to speak on a panel at your event or... Bringing them into your company. Bringing them into your company, exactly. Internships, training yes. in certain fields. Yes. Right? Giving them the tools to succeed in such the a The tools space. to succeed. Yeah. 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 No, this is great. I call it I call it natural intelligence. I call it working from the inside out that youth just naturally intelligently have us this sixth sense that of like you said, what's right and wrong. So natural intelligence coming from a place of a nature grounded. So have a sense of your connection to the environment and why it's important to protect the environment. I also would think it'd be important to sort of think about what that moment was that inspired inspires you to like have this sort of awareness of certainty and I know that you had a beautiful story you shared about your underwater experience so maybe just share that with the audience because it really made me think about you know what was that moment of transformation in myself I think for everyone to have that moment or to reflect on why do I care I think it's really important right now absolutely you have to get back to your root cause or your driving force why are you getting involved in you know this movement you know addressing the climate crisis and making sure that you're involved in any way that you can so for me when I was in college I volunteered on a marine mammal rescue team I had the opportunity to to volunteer on one particular night where there were 70 rough toothed dolphins that were stranded on the coast of the Florida Keys and I was just a freshman in college studying biology and I got involved because I love dolphins. I mean, shamelessly, everybody says that, but I really, really love dolphins. So anything I could do to help them, I was all about it. So that night was a night that I'll never forget because I was surrounded by panicking, afraid, and just, you know, stressed dolphins that were somewhere where they weren't supposed to be. These are pelagic dolphins that spend almost their entire lives out at sea in the deep ocean, never, ever really come to the coastline, and yet there they were. And so... I had a chance to help a couple of those dolphins by just holding them in five feet of water on a sandbar, trying to make sure that their blowhole was above the surface so they could breathe. They were that disoriented. They didn't know where the surface was. And so after a few hours of that and literally muscles cramping because we've been in the water wearing wetsuits and holding these 300-pound animals, it was a lot. By almost dawn, we were able to pull in a few of those individuals that were taken to rehabilitation. And out of the 25 that were taken to rehab, actually nine of them were re-released back into the ocean. Mm. So unfortunately, the others did perish. But 
for the nine that survived, it was a big, big step because that was one of the largest rescue efforts ever in history that we have a record. Mm. But it goes back to the question of why were they stranded in the first place? Right. What human behavior caused that? Because it's, it wasn't natural. And so, it was noise, wasn't it? Noise in the ocean? Right. They're, they have yet to really fully confirm it, but it was believed that there was a sonar blasting going on out in the open ocean. That disoriented. Yes. Yeah. We're talking about sound waves that would destroy our own human eardrums, and yet there are companies out there using that technology to look for things like oil. And unfortunately, sound you know, in the water like that is super detrimental to marine animals and disturbing. Right. Can you imagine coming, somebody coming in your room and blasting you with a sonar? Like, that is just insane. Well, actually, that's what um, torture camps do or did, is that mm. you just blast with, with sound and completely destroy a person's uh, sense of sensory connection. For not only for marine mammals, but for every marine organism. They're finding now, through research, of the many, many plethora of sounds that things like corals, you know, make sounds, mm. and fishes make sounds, oh, and wow. everybody's like, there's a chatter cool. that happens in the ocean, but it's being muddled because of human activity, whether it's boating and transport or sonar testing. All of these things are interfering with those vital communications that keep those ecosystems healthy. So we have to be really mindful and start thinking about, well... Yes. You know, with all the boat traffic that's happening, can I maybe not do this or not buy this product that's been transported that way? Or, you know, just speak up because a lot of times the ocean, you know, because it's out of sight, it's out of mind. A lot of people yes. don't consider it one of their priorities because it just seems like it's so big. And how can we actually impact it? But we're at, we're at a major tipping point where our oceans have taken in too much carbon. The acidity of the ocean is is changing. I mean, chemistry itself, because of all the carbon we've been emitting in our atmosphere, the ocean is the largest carbon sink on this planet. That's what it was designed to do, but it's overwhelmed now. And we're just seeing plastic pollution, you know, constantly being blasted into the ocean as right. well. And who ends up eating that plastic? Well, we do. Now we know. Yeah. Now if we you, know our health is connected to ocean health. Directly. The ocean is the lifeblood of our planet and our lifeblood as well. Well, stay on this mission. I'm with you. <laughs> it's fantastic to have this moment with you because I know how compassionate you are. And I, I love your story about the dolphins because there's, there's got to be a moment for everyone in this world where they've been touched by nature. And if we can get back to that root cause, like you said, that why, then maybe we can start reframing and our, our thinking and connect that to our actions. I mean, we live in this world. We're dependent on this world, you know, in the natural world for the air we breathe, the food we eat. And at one point, we have this moment of realization. So in your story, Before in the Ocean, I know that there was actually one moment for you which was really sort of a turning point where you knew that your life was going to be dedicated to protecting the ocean. And what was that moment? You have to share that. It was the moment where I was holding uh, one of the individual dolphins and I was exhausted. But somehow my hand reached underneath the, the torso of the dolphin and my, my fingers ended up touching just under the pectoral fin, which is one of the only places you can feel the heartbeat of a dolphin. And that was the first time that it ever happened to me. Wow. And for that quick moment, I looked up in the sky and I saw the stars and I just had this moment of connection with that individual dolphin where our heartbeats felt aligned and I knew at that exact moment that that was the call that was the call to remind me that everything every living thing on this planet is connected and it's up to us as humans to realign ourselves with that heartbeat of life and that that dolphin I'll be forever grateful for for showing me that and revealing that to me what a beautiful note to end on thank you so much Danny You're for welcome. your work and everything